All right, here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Non-Victim Nation podcast. I am here today with Hugh Crane of Crane Tech Knives, uh, who I had the honor of meeting not too long ago. You were doing a uh, class here with uh, La Rosa. Yes. Uh, that was, and it was clinch training and knife defense. It kind of combined together, and it was really excellent class. Nice. Thank yeah. you. So, have and a good time the, with that. That was the La Rosa <clears throat> annual alumni event, so... Mm -hmm. Uh, he had asked me to um, guest instruct on that. And so I was obviously happy to do so. So uh, right. he did the clinch fighting, he did the tie clinch. And then from there, we progressed, like you said, into um, offensive blade work. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Glad like, you liked it. No, it was a great class. Um, it flowed together very well between the two segments um, and everything. It kind of went from... Uh, you know, the clinch fighting in, in close and then just that transition of uh, moving to the knife and how to defend against that, how to like, you know, reverse that situation. Right. That was all excellent, you know. And that wasn't that wasn't planned. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I keep finding that uh, the more he and I collaborate in a sense, mm -hmm. the more like minded we are. Like it just flows like it just happened to flow that way. Right. And when he taught his segment and I'm like, dude, this is going to work perfectly. Yeah. And then the last time I ran a class here, um, we had originally booked um, fighting from the clinch. Um, I did a, a fighting while carrying concealed and then it was clinch based, how to draw your weapon, when to draw your weapon mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. And then um, I ended up moving. I called Dan. I'm like, hey, man, we, we got to move this because uh, Nick's running a course the same weekend. Uh, he wants to attend. I'd love for him to attend. And some of his guys are going to attend and mm -hmm. let's just move it if we can. So check with Dan, make sure we can, uh, his schedule and availability here at Tech Hub could accommodate that. Um, and then I went to Nick's and I'm, I just started laughing. I'm like, dude, I'm going to cover a lot of this stuff. It's just going to flow. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's good to find like-minded people that you can work with. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Nick is a really cool guy. I've, I've talked to him. A number of times uh you've got some really great ideas about how to run things i know that he does a lot of jujitsu training and that sort of thing yeah so always lots to talk about there yes so, yep right on uh so for people who don't know much about you like uh can you give us a kind of a little bit of a rundown of like your background like how you got set to where you are yeah it's a man it's kind of kind of a long story but um so i started you know as far as my training goes uh, we can segue into how we got to where we're at with yeah. train tech. But um, I started off traditional martial arts. Well, I started boxing when I was 10. My grandfather was a professional boxer. He did not want me to get into it, but I loved it. And yeah. I love lifting weights. I loved, you know, when I was young, I was a big Ninja Turtle fan and all this stuff when you were a kid, you right. know, back in that time. And so everything fighting, I was into it, right? Yeah. Um, and then when I got older, when I was 18, I started formally training martial arts, but again, started traditional. Uh, Kempo, and we had a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy that would come in, so I got exposed to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. I did that for a few years, and then um, I met some guys that were doing MMA. Some of them were amateur, working their way up to uh, the UFC, so some of them are pretty well-known. Um, some of those guys, uh, which I had the you know, privilege, I didn't, you know, the UFC was still pretty new yeah. um, at that time. Like I guess it wasn't new, but it was still, in more or less its infancy compared to where it has become at this right, point, right. you know, I'm 42 now, so I'm not a young buck anymore. Um, and this was in my early, early twenties. Mm -hmm. 
so you know over 20 years ago now at this point i guess or 20 years ago um so i got uh you know good connection with them and started training i was getting my butt kicked every night right yeah. and then i go train with some other guys and i would practice what i had got my butt kicked on the night before with these guys and mm -hmm. i was you know beating up on them and right so it was a good training environment from there um then i um it, again influenced by you know the movies and stuff yeah. i think that was when the the first uh you know batman came out with uh uh what's his name christian bale right okay where he okay. plays in jitsu yeah so i went and did this live-in instructor ninjutsu program oh nice it was actually kind of cool because we got to travel the world um so i did that um i went to thailand i did muay thai uh, mm -hmm. we went to thailand a couple occasions stayed for over two months each time so i got to do muay thai in bangkok down in uh phuket uh, up in Chiang Mai in the mountains um amazing experiences uh while there came back continued doing mma for a little while and then I started doing Krav Maga. Um, okay. And let's see. From there, uh, I think at that point, at some point, I got, I uh, became a correctional officer. I got mm -hmm. certified to teach Krav Maga to law enforcement. Nice. Uh, yeah. And then um, <laughs> that's not the best environment, uh, as you know, for yeah. um, young family man, I guess, right? My, my wife and I were about to have a kid. And, um, when inmates start knowing what kind of vehicle you drive yeah. and stuff, you know, it's uh, wife gets a little uncomfortable, right? Yeah. So she's like, Hey, you probably should find a different <laughs> career. Right. Um, I had an opportunity at that point to manage uh, a Krav Maga studio. So I took it. Um, and then from there I opened up my own place. Um, I started doing some Filipino stuff. One of my good buddies is a coach with the IMB. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with the IMB, but it's uh, it's like international martial arts and boxing. A uh, lot of Filipino martial artists, mm -hmm. um, Jeet Kune Do, like guys that trained with uh, Bruce Lee. I don't want to butcher their background and stuff. Right, but, right. Um, that's kind of their world. So mm -hmm. when we get together, it's a lot of stick and knife training. And that's... Mm -hmm. Um, really where I've been able to develop what, what we do now, as far mm -hmm. as the edge weapon stuff goes, I've trained with some other, um, uh, Filipino martial artists, um, have the privilege to train with them. And, um, really from there, um, so I went to a, this is kind of off topic, but years ago I went to a Tony Robbins, UPW, I mean, the power within right. Right, one of those things. Nice. Uh, it was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. But uh, one of the things I picked up from that was he called it the four millimeter rule. Okay. And I never heard of it at the time, but it really resonated with me and stuck with me. And it was basically like, you're going to always find a plateau. You're going to hit a plateau with whatever you're doing. And the best way to break these plateaus is really to find experts in that field who know the tiniest detail that can take you to that next level, the four millimeter difference. And I think he related it to golf swing, right? Okay. The difference between him hitting the ball straight and hitting it in, you know, the sand or, or out of play was four millimeter difference in how mm -hmm. he held his club. Right. So right. super tiny. So basically finding those people that have that experience and that knowledge that can teach that to you. Um, so I started seeking like, who's the best, who's the best in this field, who knows how to use knives, who knows how to use guns, who knows how to fight. And, um, 
and then so that's what i've done and i, I don't want to do a bunch of name dropping here but I, mm -hmm. if you see them on on the internet i've probably trained with them because nice. i'm seeking those people who i know are better than me right uh so that i can gain those little nuggets of uh that gold you know that information to help uh with what i teach and help my students um so uh yeah so one of the things that uh, uh one of the gaping holes that i realized because i had done jujitsu um you know boxing muay thai as i said and i already started you know working with uh edged weapons which working in a correctional environment um mm -hmm. edged weapons are potential threats yes, right <laughs> <laughs> improvised weapons so um the, having the the knowledge to defend against them more than than use them at that time became mm -hmm. pretty important to me i actually um i worked in a um when i was a correctional officer i i quickly got promoted into it was a small promotion but into our uh detention unit which was we, we held a lot of five five custody um inmates mm -hmm. there's some pcs and stuff but um some of them pretty dangerous and right. um so we, you know, on our unit, we had found anything from knives to even spears. It was crazy wow. when you think about that. Yeah. Somehow they got a hold of some PVC pipe and turned it into a spear, and yeah. So That's that was crazy. on the top of my mind, right? Yeah, right? Okay, I need to know how to handle this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. obviously, the more you learn, the more dangerous you realize it is. Um, but uh, um, so. With that, I, mean, I kind of lost where I'm going. <laughs> it might be the burden. I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Rain me back in. Rain me so, back in. Just for anybody that is curious, the uh, bourbon shelf that we have over here with the American flag is not just for show. We actually invite our guests to partake and enjoy what we have. And yeah, we're having a good time. <laughs> yes. I, I think our conversation started probably a half hour before this. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, oh. so we were talking basically about your background. Background, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so how long were you actually in corrections? So it, it was actually very short-lived, just a little over a year. Okay. Uh, I was in corrections before that opportunity. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It's one of those, you know, so it's a career where, and, and I started in corrections because uh, I wanted to be in, I knew I wanted to be in law enforcement, mm -hmm. right? Um, in college, I started at the U of A, and then I went uh, to JC, local JC, um, and started studying criminal law, death investigation, and and then I went back to this was all around nine eleven time, right? Right. Um, I got inspired to try to be in either the CIA or the FBI at the time, um, or the military. Mm -hmm. um, so then I started studying Farsi. I was learning how to oh, speak nice. Persian. I was learning computer sciences. I was like, what's important to the government right now? What can right. I do to become an asset? Right. Um, so I was doing that, and uh, and locally it was very hard to get picked up by anybody at the time because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people trying to get in mm -hmm. corrections for me was a, a a way to get my foot in the door for law enforcement and then move into something else right hopefully i was going to at that point apply for um you know the feds or something um but i you know like i said i had an opportunity to uh open up that or not open but manage that uh, problem god studio and my wife wanted me out Right. With our daughter on the way. So I respected that. And, and, uh, I felt because teaching was martial arts, self-defense teaching mm -hmm. had been a passion of mine for, since I was a kid. Right. Right. So I was like, all right, this is an opportunity for me to live out my passion. Let's go with it. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back. Right. right. Yeah. Um, thankfully it, uh, it worked in a way that I could continue. 
Um, so then I, like I said, I had my own gym, um, and I ran that for a while until, uh, we ended up moving, uh, up to Phoenix. Um, and I let my buddy take over and COVID hit and shut that place down. Yeah. So, um, now I just really, I just run seminars occasionally. I actually stepped away from teaching for a while, um, because I was focused on the knife business. Right. So okay. getting into crane tech, uh, TEC, so crane TEC tactical everyday carry. Um, in training, I was working a lot with people who carry knives, firearms on a daily basis, some mm. for a living. Um, and we found that there were things that I wanted to do with my blade that I could not do with what we were carrying, whether it was a pocket carry, a folder, or just being carried in a, in a way that it was not accessible from either hand. And I knew that this was, this was an important tool that I had to be able to access um, with my right or my left hand in, in a, uh, a perspective, from a perspective of a clinch fight, because mm -hmm. the blade is an up close and personal tool. Right. And uh, I'm likely to going to be hands-on or with an attachment, as we say a lot. So mm -hmm. either you're grabbing me or I'm grabbing you. Can I still access this tool? Because you can't always access your firearm. You know, if, you're, if your dominant hand is, is being controlled or you have to use that to control somebody else, right? Right. My blade is a secondary tool that I should be able to access that with either hand. Mm -hmm. um, so like our model is, or our motto is accessibility and efficiency matter. So accessibility mm -hmm. piece is in the sheath. I believe that the carry method is just as important as the blade design itself, mm -hmm. right? So being able to access my blade with either hand is imperative. If I can't access it with either hand, I might as well have left it at home on my nightstand. Okay. It's no good to me. Right. And then if I pull it on somebody, the reality is, is we are now at lethal force. Yes. So why would I not want my tool to be as efficient as possible? Mm -hmm. So we double edge our blades. Like our, our, um, our flagship models are Tempest and it started off first design was a double Tonto mm -hmm. four edges. Initially I was told that was impossible. I wasn't gonna be able to do it. They're like, you can't do this. It's, you're not gonna be able to line up all 18 of those lines. It's gonna, right. you're not gonna be able to do it. You're gonna lose this line. You're gonna have to get it machined. Um, and that was a long process, a learning process. Mm -hmm. um, I had some machinists, um, CNC guys just destroy my steel. And I'm like, guys, this isn't working. So then luckily my buddy um, was a machinist by trade. And I'm like, dude, you need to design some jigs for us. We've got to figure this out. And he did. He he figured it out. He figured out the angles we needed to do. This was before I was working in CAD. Was, this was just like a, literally a pencil drawing right on some paper. Right. And then, um, you know, grinding out a, a little soft piece of wood and like, okay, this is my, this is my, uh, my prototype. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> Things have now changed. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, back then it was, we had nothing, no reference, no computer to tell us what angles and how, how long our grind lines had to be and stuff to figure it mm -hmm. out. Um, so, uh, anyway, so having, having gone through this in class, uh, with, with the students and just seeing this, I was like, all right, let's, let's go buy this blade. It's out there. Let's go buy it. Yeah. Right. And, um, it literally six years went by and I was still on the internet looking for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, I'm, our company is not the first company to do a double edge blade, right? right? We're not the first company to do a Krombit style blade, mm -hmm. but on the market at the time that I was looking, nobody was doing a double-edged Tonto and with the, we, we call it our kick, but with a, basically a kick in the blade um, that I wanted, mm -hmm. 
so that when you held it in a reverse grip um, and you if you missed your target, if you were trying to control or cut that you wouldn't poke or stab yourself. Nobody was right. nobody was doing that unless you had a full on karambit style with a hook. Right. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't giving me the angle that I want. I wanted a straight blade, not a curved blade. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that there was benefits of the straight blade that the curved blade didn't provide. Mm -hmm. And we get into this in training. Um, and so when I couldn't find it after six years, I was like, babe, like, I got to make this thing. All right. She's like, go ahead. And I was like, yeah. oh shit, let's go. Nice. <laughs> let's go. Right. So, I mean, Crane Tech was born there, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and then from there, we've, we've made some other blades. Uh, we have our push dagger, our PDX, which was a request from some law enforcement officers. Like, hey, can you make us something that's relatively inexpensive? Mm -hmm. um, just something... Mm, that if somebody's on me, I can just, you know, get them off and get, create that space to get mm -hmm. to my firearm. And I was like, yeah, we'll come up with something. Right. Well, better than a push dagger. Right. So yeah. we came up with a skeletonized push dagger that, uh, um, I think does that pretty efficiently. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very difficult to defend against. Um, you know, and training is, is simple with a push dagger because if you know how to reach out and touch somebody, yeah. you can efficiently use that tool. Right. right. So, um, and disarms are, 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 you know, people teach disarms. I don't teach disarms with knives, but some people do. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't, I'm not saying you can't disarm somebody. You can, mm -hmm. um, I think in our class, I accident, not, I wouldn't say accidentally, but we just, right. if, I don't know if you remember, but we've kind of fell into a position where, right. Uh, I was defending against Troy and I was like, Oh, look, this happened to be in a place where right. I can disarm him. Right. And I did that. Um, but we don't bank on it, right? Most of our disarms are either I knock this dude out or I put the blade that he's still carrying in his body and right. he can pull it out, right? Yeah, and I right. disarm. So, <laughs> um, so, or, you know, maybe we cut his hand and he drops the blade, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not trying to take it from him. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah. So background is, like I said, pretty extensive, but, uh, um, and, and I'm still training, I'm still learning, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't certainly don't claim to be the, the know all be all by any means. Like there, there are guys out there that have been doing this a lot longer, um, and more consistently that have those nuggets that I still want to get. And so I, every right. year I'm still trying to train with people or going back to, to instructors and coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, that I've already established relationships with and just keep learning. Right. Um, because the more I can learn, the more of an asset I am to anybody who chooses to spend their Saturday with me in a class. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, so. Gotcha. So like the, the training and things that you do kind of as, as you learn more and things like that, do you think that that's going to change the evolution of the blades that you design or the, or they pretty much set with what you think they need to be? So at, at this juncture, I'm very happy with our designs. Right. Um, we have a new one that we're trying to launch. It's called our Poseidon. And that one is, is a nasty, nasty blade. Okay. Um, so with that, I was trying to bridge the gap between the, you know, the tactical everyday carry, the EDC people, and then the market where um, they want more of a utility blade for mm -hmm. hunting or skinning. Because uh, I've had lots of requests like, hey, when are you going to make a hunting blade? Hey, when are you going to make a kitchen blade? Because that's what they're into. And I'm like, that's not really our thing. Right. You know, you want a nice kitchen blade. You, there's plenty of places you can yeah. go buy one, right? Um, like, can I make you one? Yeah, but I'm not going to put it on my website. You right. know, before Crane Tech existed, I had I didn't know anything about steel. I didn't know how to make a knife. Like, this was all learning. It's still a learning process. Right. Because the, the Poseidon 
because of the hook involved, I'm still working out the grind lines for myself to make it by hand. Mm -hmm. I've sent it out to a couple of manufacturers. And at first I was told, Hey, we can't grind that. We're going to have to make it. And you're going to have to grind the hook yourself. And I'm like, well, wow. that kind of defeats the purpose of me paying you to make me a knife. Right. Uh, uh, for me to have to go back and fix it. Yeah. And then I'll probably have to recode it because the coating could get messed up while I'm mm -hmm. sharpening it, you know? Um, anyway, uh, or, or grinding that final grind and then having to sharpen. <clears throat> So there was some difficulties there, but I, they think they've worked it out. So we are hoping to bring that to market, mm -hmm. you know, well, you know, manufacturing, the lead times are, are kind of extensive. So I would say hopefully first quarter right? next year. Um, I'm not sure. Did I bring that to the class? Did I show that one off? I don't believe you did. Mm. It's a pretty so, sexy knife. I'm yeah. excited about it. It might that, be my new everyday carry. There so, you go. Yeah. So it's bigger than the Tempest. So the Tempest overall length is like seven and a quarter mm -hmm. inches um this one is like eight and a quarter oh, wow i went ahead and so with the tempest it's the blade is only three inches mm -hmm. right it's a double tonto but it's only three inches because right. i was trying to stay within the parameters of how can i get this to be able to be legally carried in more places right mm -hmm. and you can't have a double edge in a lot of states right right you can't have a blade over three inches and there's all kinds of rules and and, and regulations against what you can carry i was trying to stick within right so right but the blade is while sufficient, three inches is enough to, I mean, you, oh, yeah. you can, you can end a threat with this blade. Yeah. Right. Um, but I went with, I chose to go with a bigger blade this time and, mm -hmm. and, uh, really cater to people who don't have those restrictions. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, let's, let's give them what they want. Um, so I'm very excited about it. And the, the, what we teach as far as the offensive use of the blade <clears throat> will play in beautifully with this design. Um, but that hook on the back end is, it's going to create a lot of damage. Right. <laughs> Some nice. people are going to love that. <clears throat> so I, I've talked to people before that have said that they have, they would rather be shot multiple times than be cut by a knife. Yeah. I've um, heard that too. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, people seem to have, it, it's not necessarily that a knife can do more damage per se. But at the same time, the wounds and things that it does create, I think, are a lot more vicious than the typical gunshot. Right. And and I'm not a doctor, but the research that I've done, the, the people that I've talked to and what I've what I've heard and read, <clears throat> excuse me, the wound channel is just different. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, a blade does not have the same kinetic energy as, as a ballistic, as, as, a, as a, a, a handgun, a rifle. Um, but the wound channel can be bigger because oftentimes... Um, well, the blade is just thicker, but when it goes in, it can be twisted to open mm -hmm. that up and pulled out. And oftentimes you'll, you'll like, you'll see people who train with them. They'll, when they stick one way, they will twist before they, they cut out the other right. way yeah. to intentionally inflict a bigger wound. Mm -hmm. Um, and from what I, what I understand is statistically, you are more likely to survive a gunshot wound than an edge weapon. Wound. Right. So, yeah. So I would, I would say that's probably why they would rather get shot than, yeah. stabbed <laughs> so so yeah i think it's one of those things that people underestimate they they yeah there's so much especially because now that it's all political you know the whole anti-gun thing and yeah. like you know why that's such a big deal it's like let's just say for a second that you took that away like they did in the uk mm -hmm. you know all that means is now you have a spike in you know gun or excuse me knife right attacks and things i remember like that. hearing that yes yeah. you know it's like statistically you like look at like what's happening there it's like you just increase a different type of violence. It's like you didn't stop what was actually happening. 
you know, and I think that's one of the big problems we have in this country is that they get so wrapped around the axle of, of the idea of like guns. And they think that just simply removing that is going to remove all violence. It's like, that's not true. No, evil people will do evil things. You know, that's, that's the same thing. Like, you know, the, the, the politicians love to throw out all these statistics about gun violence, how, you know, how many people die per year, not realizing that, like, I think it's like 60 or 70% of that is uh, suicide. Right, right. You know? It's or like, they recognize that they just fail to yeah. inform the public of that. It's just because it, right. it, it, uh, you know, what is, what is, what is the term I'm trying to think of, but it, uh, it just adds to their, their statistic to right. better their point. Or, right. So yeah. it's, I mean, it goes, it, it detracts from their narrative to say this, this many people were, were killed but by so their own hand by, yeah. by suicide. Yeah. And, the, and there's even another really large percent is, actual justifiable shootings by police right. and whatever else, exactly. you know, it's like, so the, the statistics they're giving you aren't correct right out of the gate. Right. Okay. But the other part of that is like, if, even if you took all of those guns away, people who are going to commit suicide are going to commit suicide. There's, there, there's not, that's not something you can stop them from doing. Yeah, if they're intent on doing so, yeah. they will find a way. Yeah. Right. You know, stepping in front of a moving vehicle, stepping off of a vehicle, right. hanging themselves in private, you know, you know, whatever, even in the prison system, yeah. you know, if somebody is determined to like commit suicide, they're going to find a way to do it. Right. And, you know, they've really hammered down on us because they just recently had a suicide in Perryville. Um, and so their response to that, because DOC is very reactive, they don't think long term, right. they only, they have knee jerk reactions to everything. Sure. Okay. So their response to this, well, it's like, okay, you have to do walks every 20 minutes and you have to, you know, start writing down in your journal exactly what time you started and exactly what time you stopped so we can monitor on the camera and see exactly when you were there, right. you know, and somehow that's supposed to stop the situation. It's like, that isn't going to fix anything. All you're doing is creating extra work and you're trying to hold the officers accountable on, on a ridiculous level right. for what they're doing. <laughs> And then you have supervisors, sergeants, and lieutenants that are going back and reviewing the cameras and trying to match it to the journals. It's like, well, if you have all that much time to be watching the, the cameras, why aren't you watching it to see what the damn inmates are doing? Right. Why are you watching the officers and trying to ham us up? Yep. You know? I That was one thing that I really disliked about the department was I felt their concern was more so on avoiding lawsuits than officer safety definitely yeah. yeah and we have a new director now that is 100 percent just that everything that he does all of the policies he puts out if you really look at it it's designed to, to cover his ass right and to cover the doc yep. and doesn't give two shits about what's happening with the officers right you know he's putting policies into place and this is from what i understand the person the highest level of detention that he's ever worked in was a level two prison oh really okay, okay so he's making his policies based on his limited knowledge there right okay and so he's taking inmates that are level five that are supposed to be 100% restrained when they come out of their cells mm -hmm. all the time, yep. giving them out of cell time and rec time. Together? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so yeah. we've had multiple, you know, uh, staff assaults. Yeah, you're asking for it. Two of which had to be life lighted out of the unit oh, because it was that bad. Yeah. And one, uh, she's, there's a subsection of uh, employees that work for the kitchen. It's called Trinity. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those workers was actually raped in the kitchen. Yeah. And this is all during his administration. Right. You know, and he doesn't seem to understand. It's like 
you're putting so much emphasis on what we're doing and you're not paying any attention to what they're doing. Right. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's, you're it's, making it more dangerous for us. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible environment to be working in. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I am thankful I had an opportunity to go somewhere else. Yeah. You know, I still, <clears throat> I feel, I still feel the need to, um, like I always have that desire in me to do, to, to protect or, you know, it's just, it's in you. Some of us have that in, in them. And I may not be in a professional um, capacity, um, but uh, it's teaching people how to defend themselves is, right. is a way to give back, right? Um, in that, in, in that, to some to some degree. And mm-hmm. when I, you know, last time we talked, the last thing I said to you, I'm sure, was, "Hey, be safe out there," because yeah. I mean it. I, I mean it. I know what you're walking into, and I have full respect for what you do for a living. And uh, you, every day you go to. The, you go to work, you put yourself in harm's way. Like I, every day I went to work, I, I asked myself the question as I'm pulling up to complex, is this the day? Yeah. Is this the day? You know? Right. So, so there, I will say though, that working in correctness has taught me a few positive things. Number one, I am exponentially more assertive now than I ever was prior to sure, working there. You have to be, uh, yeah. you know, because being able to tell, you know, 80 plus inmates, you have to stop what you're doing and go back in your cell so right. we can lock you in, yep. you know, after chow or whatever it is that they were doing it's like you know multiple times in a day you know we let them out they go do what they're doing it's like okay now it's time to lock down again right it's like hurting retarded cats but we do it right (laughs) right (laughs) you know but it takes some oomph to like say you know you have to go lock down now you know and you know be able to, to raise your voice to a level where like the whole run knows you're talking and saying go do this now Right kind of thing, but it's it's interesting. There's that balancing act of being assertive enough to get them to do what you want them to do, uh-huh. but in a way that is not viewed as disrespectful because we know how they are with respect, right? In, in a way that is not going to get you into a fight in the middle of a pod of eighty inmates, right? Exactly. So you have to figure out how to balance that. You you don't like you learn skills in that environment mm-hmm. um, that I don't think you learn anywhere else, right? You you learn to talk to people. Um, and, and, and in a, it's not, uh, it's not manipulative, but you learn how to, like you said, to get people to do what you want right. while avoiding that confrontation. Cause it can, it can escalate so right. quickly. Um, cause you know how it is. Some guys just don't want to listen yeah. or what they're having a bad day. And sometimes you just got, dude, I don't know what kind of day you're having. Right. And I don't know what set you off, but remember it wasn't me. I'm just trying to get through the day. Let's, exactly. let's go. Yeah. You know, let's see it. And let's go. <laughs> so, right it's something that you said earlier they're they're basically adults that need to be babysat yeah you know because a lot of times they act like four-year-olds yeah you know they're they're gonna and i don't mean that they're gonna throw themselves on the ground and throw tantrum necessarily right, right no. but they they will push every limit as far as they can they're always constantly trying to see what they can get away with absolutely you know absolutely. and you have to like be very consistent about nope we're doing this yep you know, yeah, we had it, talked about that earlier. That, yeah. that, you know, if you're if you're doing your job by the book, it can be an extremely difficult job. Mm-hmm. It can. It's a fight every day. Not not necessarily physically, but verbally, right? Yes. Psychologically, it is a fight, right? <clears throat> to get to get them to comply with the rules, so you're not you're not compromised, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I guarantee, and you know this, if you bend for one guy, yes. the next guy expects it. And if you don't bend for him, now it's favoritism and. And now you get political with, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a tough, tough world in there. So I was in, I was working in attention, uh, in central unit when it was still open mm-hmm. um, 
and they had a whole upper level that was that was just uh detention right and same thing they were level five uh inmates they weren't allowed to come out of their cells unless they were fully yep. restrained that kind of thing right and so we have to like feed them in their cells yep. so we're delivering food to the cells right and uh <laughs> i had been working there long enough that i that i built rapport and they they understood who i was and they just knew what i was about right what to expect on your shift yeah. yep right yep. yeah every once in a while you'd have somebody who doesn't know me who's you know gonna decide he's gonna see what he can get away with right and this one, it was like talking about how, you know, he was, he was going through this, he was going through that, you know, and he was, he was kind of hungry and he was asking, you know, could he just get a, a little extra or could he, you know, take, you know, whatever this and that. And it's like, nope, no. you know, it's just really, and the inmate right next to him in the, in the cell next to him, he would looked at me and he goes, well, at least you're consistent. Yeah. And in a way it made me laugh, but at the same time, it was sort of a compliment. It it's is. Like, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. I'm always going to say the exact same thing. You know, there's certain things you can't do, certain things you can. That's just the way it is. Yep. You know? Yeah, I heard that before. Well, yeah. Crane, you're consistent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Consistently and, saying no. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's that earns their respect because right. they know they can count on that. Yeah. You know, right. I've even had other inmates that like, you know, again, somebody who doesn't know me well, really well was complaining about something and I told him I would go deal with the situation just not right now yeah and i had another inmate stick up for me and say hey if negrete said that he's going to go do that he'll, he'll go do it yeah yeah just right. because they knew that that's how i was right you know yeah that that consistency goes a very long way in there mm -hmm. now, these guys have nothing to do all day but to think about how you wrong them right or right. how they're going to get even so right. if you if you tell them you're going to do something you got to stay true to your word and you got to do it. Right. Yeah. And then again, though, but it, it's on your time frame, though. Right. You know, I didn't I didn't tell you I was going to do it right now. Yeah, exactly. I said I would get to it. Right. I just haven't had the opportunity to yet. Right. Give me give me my time. Yeah. And as long as you do it, then they'll still mm -hmm. respect it. They may not be happy with the time frame, but yeah, I mean, that's. Oh. Uh, but going back to something you said earlier, I mean, you had to expect that you any day could be that day. Yeah. You know, when I worked at Central, we were finding prison-made weapons, yeah. cell phones, and drugs on a regular basis. Absolutely. Every day yeah. of the week. You know, even in the, 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 the unit that I work now, which is only a level three, just the other day, we found a prison-made weapon that was like seven to eight inches long, yeah. you know, and they hadn't quite finished it, but it looked like it was going to be pretty, pretty serious. Sure. You know? One of the so, craftiest weapons I saw was, uh, it was a blade made out of... Uh, melted cd cases really yeah okay very crafty so yeah that, that's again that's they have that's what they they have time to figure out yeah you know it's it's just a game of time for them you know, mm -hmm. get, they get creative yes so uh, you know kind of on that note too like i've seen them do work and create all these little things that they that they come up with ideas about how to do stuff that's like super creative yeah, some and of like, really cool. Yeah, and some of it's like, awesome. It's like super genius. You know, yeah. and I've talked to some of these guys that have gotten uh they decided that they didn't like the way that they were being treated about this or that and decided they were gonna litigate, you know, and won multiple cases yeah. against the Department of Corrections. It's like if you had put half of that much effort into what you were doing, you you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here, yeah. You know, yeah. kind of thing. So it's it's just kind of it is what it is. It's but, interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Um so but uh, so I know that most people, I shouldn't say most people, I, I would say that the, the focus of multimedia or the mass media is that they, they focus a lot on guns. Right. They don't typically report a lot on 
knives and other like types of attacks that people get. Uh, but I have to imagine that, that that percentage is still pretty high. The number of people that are attacked with edged weapons, right? Sure. And it's going to vary obviously from place to place, right? Mm -hmm. Accessibility knives are accessible everywhere. Yeah. So, um, but it's not as even, even though it's happening, Mm -hmm. I would say regularly, it's not reported like you said, because it doesn't, it doesn't help the narrative. They're not Mm -hmm. trying to get rid of kitchen knives, right? Right. They're trying to lessen our accessibility to firearms. So yeah. Telling us about knife attacks doesn't help them. Right. So we won't, I don't think we'll hear it much of it. Uh, So what would you say are some of the more important things that people should know about uh, being assaulted with a knife? Oh man. If it Um, ever comes to that. They are, knives are extremely dangerous. They Mm -hmm. like, so for a firearm, while lethal, efficient at what it does, Mm -hmm. it, it attacks in one direction. Right. Blade, the attack is at any angle. Small movements make huge differences in the attack. So extremely difficult to defend against. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be on the other end of a blade. I don't care how much I've trained, how good I think I am. I don't want to be there. Right. Don't. As my last resort is I okay, I have to go hands on with this guy with a blade. Mm -hmm. Um, best thing to do is 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 distance. Distance. Um things in between you, right? Get barriers between you, whether that's a chair, a table, a car, um, getting away. If you can, if there's space, time, uh, and, and time for you to get away, that's, that's your best course. Mm -hmm. Second is I can't get away. What can I get between us? What kind of improvised weapon can I use that will give me range? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, a chair, picking up a chair, picking up, uh, some, uh, a stick, a bat, whatever, um, something that has that range um, uh, added for your benefit is is going to protect you. And then um, if you have to go hands-on, I don't like telling people you're going to get cut because I feel like that sets the precedent that it's okay to get cut. You know right. what I'm saying? Uh, it sets you up for to accept failure. And I don't, I don't believe in doing that. Right. Um, are the chances of you getting cut high? Yeah. Right. It's, it's very possible. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you you're going to get cut. That's always pissed me off when I heard instructors say, I'm like, why tell us that? Like, yeah. Like you're just putting in my head that it's okay. And I don't want it to be okay. Right. I don't want to get cut. Yeah. So I can accept that the, the, the probability is high, but the, the, the fact that it's a hundred percent, no, I don't want to accept that. Correct. Right. So if you have to go hands-on, I hope that you had trained this before. Mm-hmm. So seek training, seek it now find people who are qualified and then train it often because fighting is a perishable skill. Yes. I find as long as I've been doing this, you know, I'm 42 now. I, like I said, I started boxing when I was 10 and, and formally trained martial arts when I was 18. There was a time when I thought I was really, really good, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe I was fast, very, very good with very accurate and precise with my movements. I'm older now. I don't train as much as I did. Right. And when I, when I try to do some of the stuff I used to do, that lack of consistency in my training shows, Okay, I can see it. I can feel it in my timing and everything. Right. It is a perishable skill. So if you need to be consistent and that's hard for people to stomach, mm-hmm. I get asked all the time to teach. Can you teach a self-defense seminar? And I'm like, okay, but this is what you have to tell the group that's coming. They're not going to know everything when they leave period. Right. I can't teach them everything in one day and they will not learn it enough 
they, they won't not make it a part of who they are. Mm-hmm. If all it is, is an eye opener that they need more training. That's right. all a one, one time seminar is going to be is an mm-hmm. eye opener that if you like this, go find a place to do it. Right. You know? Um, so train, train consistently. Um, obviously in class, there's more details. Like we have principles mm-hmm. that we go off of, like you remember from offensive knife it's well offensive knife is really defensive and offensive at the same time based mm-hmm. on how we train right yeah. um we're attacking while we're defending um you know there's little principles that we have like staying on top was something we focused on a lot mm-hmm. staying on top of the blade but i mean really that's it don't be there if you can be if you if you can right. avoid it don't be there <laughs> right so those precursors to violence right if you notice it or or hell even just don't show up at all yeah. Like if you know like there's a party on this side of town that's that's sketchy, why go? Yeah, don't go there. Don't go. Yeah. Right. So that's the that's the best piece of advice. And then if you are in a situation where maybe it shouldn't, it, it's not necessarily a violent mm-hmm. place, but violence happens everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Exit if you can. Mm-hmm. If you can't exit, then um find something to put in between you, some kind of barrier, long-ranged weapon. Um and then from there, if you have to go hands-on, it's, I hope you trained. Mm-hmm. I hope you trained for it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I hope you have some medical uh, uh, training as well. Yeah. We do teach uh, some tech med stuff as well. So I, at one time I, I was certified EMT um, and I've, I've done training since then with other organizations that teach, you know, how to use uh, tourniquets. So we'll teach mm-hmm. how to do a hasty tourniquet versus, you know, a deliberate tourniquet. We'll, and then in some classes we'll go into more depth. Mm-hmm. more training but sometimes it's suit like if we just do an edge weapon course it might be just this is a hasty tourniquet this is how you pack a wound and you'll get to practice these things and then mm-hmm. if it's anywhere in the box here seal it you know that kind of stuff so it's very basic but life-saving material mm-hmm. that you can learn quickly um so we'll do that um and we like to do things under stress as well um i get that from my crop training stress inoculation just it's a huge eye opener to think you're really good at a technique. And then when you're winded and you can barely breathe and now you're asked to defend yourself and you're like, right. 60% of my technique went out the window. I suck. I actually huh. thought I was good at this, right. you know, but it's just being physically fit to fight also. Mm-hmm. Right. So we like to do stuff like that and we'll do that with the medical too. So we'll mm-hmm. do a scenario. Um, like one of the courses, um, that I'm certified to teach is a, uh, active killer defense course from fit to fight. Um, so I said, I didn't want to name drop, but there's some people who deserve to have, right. you know, there's like, cause I didn't create, you know, what I teach, like uh-huh. I pull pieces from people. Mm-hmm. Sure. There might be some things that I've tweaked to, to fit my specifications as far as like my abilities, but all in all, you know, like I said, I've sought excellent training. Mm-hmm. And so these people do deserve that to have the recognition. Right. So this is one of the courses. Right. And so, um, like we'll do a scenario where there's an active shooter. Mm -hmm. Uh, after you take out the active shooter, I might say that you were injured. I might not in the scenario. And now you have to apply a tourniquet or you've subdued the attacker. And now you have to apply, you have to now render aid to somebody else who was um, shot in the process. Right. So that just adds to that stress. And how do you think clearly through that? Mm -hmm. So training is a big part of, um, I think it should be a big part of, if you're serious about self-defense self-preservation mm-hmm. uh training is a big part of it you know mm-hmm. find people who are like-minded who um are willing to uh, put in the work and, and uh, you know spend your saturday or sunday you know, yeah right in a class there go. 
Um, so this is something that I've noticed about a lot of people is that they will find something that, that appeals to them, um, boxing, jujitsu, some other type of martial art, right? And they'll they'll train essentially just in that one thing. Right. And while I wouldn't say that's a bad thing necessarily, because they're still training, they're making they're they're making themselves healthier and stronger. Sure. You know, and and you know, they're doing something to to be able to defend themselves, right? I think that it's still really good for people to be able to find other things to fill gaps that are missing because jujitsu by itself is incredible. Jujitsu, when you throw a knife into the equation, that's a whole other thing. Most, I wouldn't say most, but they're, but I think multiple a lot of people, attackers, right? You know, yeah. Um, they're not thinking of, of that particular part of the danger. Right. You know, um, I know that law enforcement does things like, you know, retention of like the weapons, things like that. Um, you get, again, this is another thing you throw into the equation that changes the dynamic of everything that you're doing. Absolutely. Right. So where some people might seek out, they say, okay, well, you know, knife fighting, stick fighting, we're going to go study Kali, right. you know, or Eskrima, you know, the, those kinds of things. Um, rather than getting locked down into that one thing, how do you propose or, or, or what's your best suggestion for people to like find things to like kind of help again, fill in those gaps? but not necessarily give up whatever it is that they're attached to. Right. Well, you have to expose those gaps to find out what they are sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't know if we started the the podcast or not, or if it was prior to um, when we were talking, but I found by accident, a gaping hole in, in my game was stand up wrestling. Mm -hmm. I had done jujitsu. I had done MMA. I had done Muay Thai and, and I had done Krav Maga and, uh, Filipino stick, you know, stick and, and knife fighting. And, mm -hmm. and I thought I was very versed. And I went to this seminar. Um, it was a, a seminar with, uh, for uh, Kali and it was a seminar for Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. And I almost didn't even go to the Krav Maga section of the, the class because I had already worked my way through an entire Krav Maga right. organization. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need this. I was a little arrogant. I was younger. And I was like, ah, well, I paid for it. I'm going to go. And it changed my world going to this seminar because we, we did all this uh, stand-up wrestling stuff, simple, basic arm drags and stuff. And mm -hmm. I was like, hey, when, when do you guys introduce us to your students? And they're like, day one. Are you fucking kidding me? He's like, I've been through an entire program and we never even touched this. Mm -hmm. You do this on day one? He's like, yeah, it's our warm-up every day. <laughs> I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> I have been training in the wrong place. Right. Yeah. So needless to say, after that, I continued to train with them yeah. um, because I realized uh, how vital that was to really understand uh, how to fight in the clinch. The, mm -hmm. the push and pull of the energy is, is vital. And, and we stress that a lot. Um, you, you get that in jujitsu. Mm -hmm. you, you, no doubt on the ground, you get that, that understanding of push and pull of energies. Mm -hmm. But if you're not doing it from the feet, it's still, it's still a different world. It mm -hmm. really is. Um, you, you do things on your back that you don't do standing up and vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like flying arm bars and stuff, like you can get, you can hit an arm bar from the ground. Right. It's very unlikely that you're most, that a lot of people that can hit that from the ground are going to hit that from their feet. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not the same. Exactly. Um, so position yourself and learning, um, the principles of takedowns and and mm -hmm. how to take somebody down also how to teaches you how to avoid being taken down. Right. And all this wrestling stuff was, uh, like I said, that was something that I learned like, holy crap, like I, th mm -hmm. this is vital. So I would say 
And, and, and here's the other thing is after having learned that for myself, mm-hmm. see, once I started introducing it to my students, seeing their development with and without weapons, catapult was amazing. Uh, it just, they started to understand the reference of position, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I've been here before. And I know I, he's pushing me. I can do this. They're pulling against me. I can go this way. But right. starting to understand that, uh, it, it was just, it was incredible to watch them develop at a level that I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And then once you mix in weapons, it's, it, it, it really enhances um, mm-hmm. how you play with, with those tools as well. Like right. learning when is appropriate to, to pull your weapon. When is it safe to do so without it being used against me? Uh, and so forth. So I would say if you can wrestle, wrestle, it's a great foundation. Mm-hmm. If you, if you want to box or do more tired jujitsu, keep doing it. Cause you love it. Mm-hmm. But, um, if you're looking, there's a lot of sport involved with martial arts, or there's a lot of tradition in, in formal martial arts that isn't really, uh, intuitive to self-defense. Mm-hmm. So find a place or a group of people who are willing to test what you're doing in a safe manner mm-hmm. right some of the best training that that i feel i ever get is when i'm in a room full of instructors and we're just like hey what are we working on today we find yeah. something and it's like okay let's let's tear it up let's let's break this down what's your what's your solution to this problem mm-hmm. let's find out if it really works right if it doesn't let's see how we make it work right like, those are the best training days for me yeah um so yeah i, I think a, a good foundation and you have to put the reps in. There's no easy way about it. There's no one class. You right. know, um, there isn't a series of four classes from four different. You can't, you just, if you want to, if you're serious about self-defense, you, it has to become a part of your life, just like physical mm-hmm. fitness. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you want to learn how to strike, go find some boxing coaches, some Muay Thai coaches. If you want to learn how to grapple, find some jujitsu coaches. Right. Find some wrestling coaches. You know, you want to learn how to play with knives, find some people who play with knives. Like, right. You know, you want to shoot, find some good firearms instructors and, mm-hmm. you know, stop shooting down one lane at a target and start moving your body. Right. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things. So, yeah. I oh. wish it was simpler than that. I wish I could no. tell you just do this. Yeah. I wish I could tell that, you that. That would be wonderful. But unfortunately, it's it's like you said. I mean, you if you have to be if if this is something that is really important to you and you want to be able to kind of like understand multiple facets of it you have to be willing to like go train yeah. multiple facets of it you know because one particular thing isn't going to cover everything right. you know just like you said boxing muay thai it makes you awesome at striking but if you get a really good wrestler or a really good jiu-jitsu person even a judo person yep. they're going to take you to the ground and then all of that goes out the fucking window yep. Yep. you know so then you've got to okay now what you, you got to have those kind of contingency things to to know same thing with like all of the training that leads up to firearms or knives, you know, like actual use of deadly force. That's its own thing. It's like you have to understand when it's time to get there and when it's time to like not. Right. You know, just because you're in a situation, you know, or you get into a clinch with somebody doesn't mean you have to necessarily draw your knife. Right. Or your firearm. Yep. Right. So this is the thing that like when people take uh, concealed carry classes, they need to understand the laws of the state that they live in. Exactly. This is a really big deal. You know, there are certain things you can and you cannot do, you know, and if you're following along with what you see in the movies and on, you know, TV shows, it's like half the time you're going to be wrong. Right. You know, if somebody is attacking you and you shoot that person, they're down on the ground and then you like kind of follow up with an extra shot to make sure that they stay down. 
Okay, now you've committed a felony. You, you right. know, you're going to go to prison. Right. Okay, that that's. But some people don't understand that. Right. So when you're talking about knives and things like that, do you get into that that aspect of it? Of you need to know when it's okay to draw the knife. We we do to an extent. So I definitely tell people that they need to know the laws for the you know where they live, their mm-hmm. their state, their city, their town. They need to know them and abide by them mm-hmm. because not everything requires lethal force. It doesn't justify it. Right. So if you're going to pull a firearm, you're going to pull a blade on somebody, it has to be legally uh, justified. Morally justified, that's on you, not me, right? Yeah, that's right. on you. But legally, you need to you need to be justified. And I don't get into too much detail because I'm not a lawyer. Like I mm-hmm. tell them, this is, this is on you. You have, to, you have to be able to articulate that you felt the need to save your life, right? That it was necessary for you to take this course of action. Right. And I can't tell you when exactly because situations dictate your responses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and f- the situation for me in a fight against one or two individuals may justify the use of lethal force to, to get out of there alive. Mm-hmm. It may not, but for my wife, those justifications are vastly different. Because right. of the level of training and the physical ability um, to to handle the situation is vastly different. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not trying to say, I mean, a small guy even, right? It doesn't have to be a female, but mm-hmm. a smaller or an older man, right? Who's not physically capable of fighting, um, you know, a younger, big male who is intent on on hurting him. And we don't know when he's going to stop, right? Right. Um, that's a call he has to make. And so mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I just encourage them to, to know the laws. Mm-hmm. It will give them some scenarios, but I, I again, I, I can't tell you when to pull your blade or your gun. Right. You know? So yeah. but we will, we do address it. We, yeah. we do address it um, to some extent. Right. So I would imagine that it's on the same level of, you know, if you're going to draw a firearm, you need to be prepared to actually use that firearm. Yes. And you need to be 100% accountable. Absolutely. So the, the idea that when you fire that weapon, you are responsible for every round that leaves until it stops moving. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. something that needs to be in the forefront of your mind before you ever pull that trigger. Absolutely. I would think that it's the same sort of thing with a blade. It's like if you're drawing a blade, you fully intend to do something with it. That means you, you've you reached that point where there is no other recourse. You right. Know? Right. So. Yep. And not, you know, like we said, not every situation uh, justifies that, that use of force. Um I I would and I don't know this is 100% accurate but I would venture to to suggest that a lot of the the cases where we see a a firearm or weapon that somebody is carrying for self defense mm-hmm. used against them is potentially one of those scenarios that you just mentioned where they pull it but don't have the intent to use it it's mm-hmm. they're trying to scare them away but this other person is intent on hurting them Mm-hmm. And now they're continuing to close that gap and this person is not willing to use that tool. Right. Uh, and so now that person has the opportunity mm-hmm. to take it and use it against them. Right. right? So. so I've seen that before, like in uh, simulation training where somebody, you know, uh, they, they have a simulator screen that's, that's showing, an, yeah. uh, you know, scenario and somebody's going through and they reach a point where their morality is telling them that they should be doing one thing when the situation dictates something else. Yeah. You know, somebody's coming at them with a a weapon that is capable of killing them. You know, you have to make that decision that, okay, I have the firearm. I'm going to stop that person before yeah. I allow them to harm me yeah. or allow them to harm somebody else. Right. 
Yep. Again, the morality, I understand that that's, it's a thing that you have to kind of, you have to work that out in your own head. Yep. But I think that that's something you should do ahead of time and understand if you don't, if you haven't quite made that decision in your own mind, of what you will do in that situation, you probably shouldn't be in that situation. Yeah. If you, if, if you own a firearm or a blade and you're carrying them for self-defense, you have to train with them and you have to do these scenarios at least in your head, run right. through them. Right. Yeah. Cause like you said, um, you know, in, in those SIM trainings where even, I mean, that's a good place to find out you don't have it in you. Right. right? Yeah. Because nobody's actually going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to find out that you don't have it in you. Don't carry it then. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just avoid that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Just try yeah. not to be there, you know, but right. I mean, you have to live your life, but get really good at those pre-indicators and see this, this is a potentially, you know, this is escalating. I can see what's happening over there. Mm -hmm. I see this guy's body language. I, I, I hear how he's talking to this other person. Mm -hmm. Something might pop off. Let's just go. Just not be here. Right. Get really good at that. You know? So, so that's another thing too. Do you actually have discussions about, um, uh, awareness? Like, we do, we do, and but I'm not gonna. There, there are people who do a much better job th- than I at, mm-hmm. at this. But I have had some training, um, in these pre, you know, recognizing pre indicators. Um, mm-hmm. I think any law enforcement probably should have some training in this. Right. right. Um, not always the best. Uh, I'm the first to say that my self defense training <laughs> at the academy was garbage. Right. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Absolute garbage. Um, but I have had. Um, some tra- like when I got certified to teach Krav Maga to law enforcement, mm-hmm. one of the, a part of that was pre-indicators, um, of violence. Um, and then I've had yeah. exposure to other people that teach it, but there are people that teach it much better than I do. Um, so I, I do talk about it. I don't say I teach it, I guess, but it is, it is a topic that we will discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. You need to recognize these things. And I, I would say that, um, Having the ability to read somebody probably saved me a few times while working, you know, in, in the unit. So, um, being able to recognize this is not a good place to be standing. Let's right. move this conversation over here, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, those kind of things. So, so kind of going back to the whole EOC thing one of the very few benefits that I do feel that we get out of that is it's something that they stress to us in the Academy is that you always have to be running through your head, these scenarios of like, what if, Yeah, you know, and it teaches us that mindset of like, you know, because just because everything seems like it's okay, doesn't mean it is right. You know, if you go back and watch any of the historically, any of the, the officers that were attacked at different times, it's because they were not situationally aware. They didn't recognize indicators, just like you're talking about. You know, they were being distracted by something else and then got attacked by somebody who was completely unassociated with whatever was going on. Right. It was just an opportunity that that person found and they took it. Absolutely. You yeah. know, so like, again, I think that is something that that we do get as a benefit is that they, they, they really pump that idea into our head. It's like you should constantly be thinking, what if? Yeah, the, you know? probably the best thing I learned uh, from that the training, I guess, or something that they really tried to hone in on us was uh, complacency kills. Yes, definitely. I have taken that with me since the, you know, since they, they started preaching it. And from the time that I put my boots away and stopped yeah. putting the uniform on, 
uh, complacency kills it in, in everyday life too. If I, uh, you know, people might say that you know, we're paranoid or whatever. We're just aware. We're just trying to be right. aware of the potential threats, yeah. you know, still live a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, I think that's probably why people who train tend to have to use their training less, right? They're right. more skilled, um, don't find themselves in quite the same situations as they're just, you know, they're not necessarily complacent. They're mm-hmm. aware of potential dangers mm-hmm. because they've either trained it um, in a scenario-based class or they've just been time in and time out on the mat. Um, and then you just pick up, you start to subconsciously pick up body language and, and oh, yeah. some of these things. You just start, some people either already have learned it from childhood and have carried it on from experiences or they've been taught that in their adulthood. Um, but that that right there, can can save you and i i really feel like um, that has saved me from having to mm-hmm. to test out my training you know yeah, so. right. yeah there you go <clears throat> um have you ever had any anecdotal like uh feedback from the training that you've given i i know i have um i wish i had a good example for you right now um that's the best like you know to have somebody use it in the field well actually you know what um i take that back i just when we were here mm-hmm. one of the guys that was in the class was uh an, a prior student of mine mm-hmm. who trained me since he was like 14. nice and he was working at the jail for the sheriff's department and okay. he told me actually that one of the things we worked in that class he's like man i actually had to use this one night so wow and i was like how'd it work out and he was like it He's like, man, it worked out great. I didn't get hit. I didn't get hurt. And yeah. um was able to put him down, get him in cuffs, and get him back where he needed to go. So right. um, and that was that was recent, you know, a couple of weeks ago. That's something mm-hmm. that's that. Nice. Yeah. Right on. So it, it always feels good, like when you, you know, when you're told that because there's right. validity to what you're doing. It just makes because I, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only guy who teaches this stuff who mm-hmm questions like i'm confident what i know but what i know for myself like i can use it right Uh, there's that there's that fear like am i teaching them the best thing i could am i utilizing their time the best that we can right right um so getting those like you said anecdotal notes from somebody who you've taught um it's a it's a good it's not the only but it's a good indicator that you might be on the right path, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're doing something right somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Um, another thing, like, do you do, uh, do you ever do, like, specifically like, just women-only classes and teach those, or? I don't. No? And it's, it's not because I don't like women. Okay. <laughs> I, in a lot of, I feel like women's only self-defense is kind of gimmicky. Okay. Because there isn't a world where it's only women. Okay. Right. That's true. So when you're in an only women's class, you're fighting other women. Yeah. I get it. Like there's some women who won't train unless they're training with other women because they feel safe. Mm-hmm. My wife doesn't want to do jujitsu because she doesn't want a sweaty man all over her. Right. Right. So um, that she doesn't know. Right. Yes. <laughs> um. So I get it. I get those circumstances, and you want a situation where you feel comfortable training. And so, like, all power to you if you're teaching those classes. Mm-hmm. That's great to get the women in the door. I just hope you're telling them that um, self-defense is not different for men than it is women. If I teach you how to punch, I'm not going to teach a woman how to punch any differently, right? right. If I teach you 
how to play in the push and pull of energy, it's not going to be any different for you than it is going to be her. Mm -hmm. There are different sets of, we might have to tweak something because of size, mm -hmm. right? Because I don't care what anyone says, size matters. Size, yeah. strength, agility, mm -hmm. speed, it all plays a factor. Like there's, right. you hear it all the time and I'm not bashing on jujitsu guys. There's, I mean, there's a lot of jujitsu guys kick my ass, right? Yeah. Especially, <laughs> especially on the ground. Right. Um, but you hear it all the time and it, it bugs me when they're like, size doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, it does. Like mm -hmm. if that dude, he's bigger than you, you're better than him. But if yeah. he was as good as you, he'd fuck you up right. because he's bigger and he's stronger and he's faster than you. Right. Right. Size does matter. Yes. It, it all is a factor in what's going to lead to success. It's okay. all, a, it's a part of the pie, right? A part mm -hmm. of the quotient. So, yeah. um, so for women's self-defense, um, if, if I was to teach it, the first thing I tell them is, guess what? You're going to learn the same thing the guys learn. Mm -hmm. There's no difference. Right. The only, problem, the only difference is, is you know, you're in training with women. Um, I have done women's only self-defense, but guess what? At the end of the class, who are they fighting? Find a man in nice. a suit. Nice. Why not? Right. right. Like, okay, yeah. you learn this in a safe environment, but here's the stress test. Yeah. Here's a six, six foot, six foot plus guy, 200 plus pound. Now use it on him. Right. He's not going to hit you necessarily, but you get to hit him as hard as you want. He's in a suit. Go at it, girl. Right. You know? <laughs> so, right. I will say women love that. Women are, they, they like to hit. So I think they, they take more pleasure in it than the guys do. Uh, yeah. But yep. I guess that makes sense because they, they, I wouldn't say that women don't fight as often, but I think that they don't fight the same way that men do. They don't just out and out brawl. Like there, there's the exception though yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. there's always exceptions, there's always exceptions yeah. <laughs> yeah um but i think just in general they they've just through society or the the way that they're raised they're taught not to fight that way yeah you know they they typically still resort to more verbal more body language more you know non-physical forms of of conflict yeah um where men are pretty quick to that you know it's like sure. we, we get right to it it's like okay let's go yeah, we're, <laughs> we're probably tiptoeing on some uh, politically non-correct territory here, but it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, I also think it's it's um, cultural as well. Yeah. You know, I would say that the uh, women on my mother's side, who's the Hispanic side, mm -hmm. are quicker to fight than the women on my father's side, who are, you know, the Caucasian side. Right. I just, I think it's a cultural thing. So, yeah, well, that's um, true too. Yeah. Um. So you went to the Philippines? Uh, no, no, no I've been to Thailand. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that cultural thing, do you notice that there are, the do there's some badass women fighting in Thailand. Oh, okay. And they start at like three years old. Like they literally have kids fighting for money at like four or five years old. Wow. I've seen them in the ring. Okay. It's insane. Like, so in Thailand, it's kind of sad to say, but, um, when you're young, when you're a kid, like mm -hmm. to help, they, they all help the family make money. Right. So you either. And I don't want to pigeonhole them to three things. Okay. But you see a lot of the, the family owns a restaurant or they're fighting or they're being sold for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it starts young. Right. So you see a lot of fighters being boys and girls. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think the last time I was there, and this was, it's probably 10 years ago or more now at this point, I think my, my daughter, I think my daughter was a year old when last time I went. Um, and 
at that time, I remember when I was there, they're like, yeah, there's a big uptick in, in young girls fighting. It's like the new rage. They, you know, they're betting right. on it. People are betting on these kids. Fighting. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, obviously, you know, I think it's, it's very common for men to fight there, right. you know, in the ring. Yeah. But it's becoming, it, at that point, it was becoming more and more common is what I was told that young girls were fighting as well. It was becoming more popular. Right. So, yeah. Almost out of a sense of necessity. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not okay. really sure what was driving it to be honest. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe it was a new thing, right? Maybe right. it was, it was, and you know, who knows? I mean, they've been mm -hmm. fighting for, for generations. We don't, I don't right, know. Yeah, but at that time, I think maybe it was, um, maybe, is that like maybe when, uh, UFC was in, inviting women in like Ronda Rousey and stuff, you right. know, like first women UFC fighters. I don't right. know. So maybe that had some influence on on that being coming more popular. Right. So who's going to be the next one? Right. right. Yeah. Well, we'll come out of Thailand. We'll send them over. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so one of the the pieces of advice that I typically give to parents, like people that have like really young kids, is like get your kids to practice jujitsu. Mm -hmm. um, and I emphasize that even more for for people who have daughters than for sons, mm -hmm. because typically women are more susceptible to being attacked by somebody who's bigger and stronger than they are. Sure. Jiu-jitsu will not necessarily erase that whole thing altogether, but it definitely gives them a much stronger advantage. Absolutely. You know, it teaches them, if nothing else, how to get away, how to disengage from somebody. Um, and also just how to like control another person and avoid really being harmed. You know? I, I think jujitsu does a good job of pairing um even if you're not putting the scenarios in their in in their head, but preparing mm -hmm. Uh, a female, a young girl for a situation where she finds herself on her back being attacked by a man who mm -hmm. has intent to do something. Right. That can become a situation where she's never been attacked in that way, but she can, again, it's that familiarity with the training. Mm -hmm. I've been in this position before. Right. I've had somebody on my guard before. I know what to do. So absolutely, that I would agree with you. That's a great, if you're going to start somewhere, that's mm -hmm. a great place to start for sure. Yeah. You know, get a foundation there. I just think that it makes them much less likely to panic mm -hmm. because like you said, now that you've, you've created that familiarity with that type of situation yeah, and they, they have a much better understanding of like what to do and how to deal with it. You I, know, I would, I would say get that good foundation of, of, you know, learning those basics in mm -hmm. jujitsu. And then at some point add some striking to it because right. if they've never been hit and right. I mean, even lately it, it can shut them down. Oh, yeah. You can shut somebody down quickly. Um, and then all that jujitsu they learn goes out the window because they've never been hit. So just, you know, even tapping, just getting them aware that they can still get hit. So how do I defend myself from here from punches as well is important. Mm -hmm. uh, and not that jujitsu doesn't do that, but there's a lot of places that don't. There's a lot of, they just focus on the sport. So if you mm -hmm. find a jujitsu place that will, even if their focus is sport, but the instructors have another background and they're like, hey, but from a self-defense perspective um also have this in your head think about mm -hmm. this as well like right. you could get hit here so how would i defend like um back home uh one of the one of the jiu-jitsu places is a 10th planet place and the owner and head instructor is amazing um and but one of the instructors the other instructors is a a, a guy former police officer mm -hmm. um we went through the ranks and crop together so he actually started as one of my crop instructors and then we started going up the ranks together. And um, so he does a good job of balancing that. You know, he's allowed, I think he's a second degree black belt in, in jujitsu, but he's got 
black belts in two different, uh, like Gracie and then 10th planet and very well versed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but also that street smart of having been a police officer and having been in fights. And so he does a good job of, uh, also saying, Hey, but also from a self-defense perspective, mm -hmm. think about this as well. Right. So I think that's, it's important. It, it really is vital to find the right place to train. And, and I know when, when people start, they don't, they don't know what that means. Right. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Like I just find that. Yeah. I found a place I have fun with. Well, that's a good start. Yeah. Have a, have a, find a place that you enjoy going to. So you mm -hmm. keep going. Right. Right. That's a good start. But, um, as your training evolves or as your needs of, and expectations or, or, or goals evolve, I think as long as if self-defense is part of that, you got to find a place that incorporates that mindset. Mm -hmm. So adds in and then also like, if you like striking to flip the coin, you can't just do boxing, right? If you're in a boxing, if you're, if you're pigeonholed in, into that, that sport, you'll, you might get good enough that you, you wax a lot of people. Right. Right. But start adding in the other stuff. If you haven't trained it, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's not going to be the same story. Right. The outcome could be vastly different if you don't land those punches. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, diversity for sure. There you go. <laughs> Uh, so at currently, how often are you teaching classes? Uh, again, so I don't, I don't have a facility anymore that I'm teaching out of regularly. Mm -hmm. So it's really just a matter of scheduling a seminar. So I know that, uh, I'm going to be up at tech hub, um, potentially a couple times a month. I know mm -hmm. Dan had asked me about, um, getting someone on the calendar starting in, I think, January, January, mm -hmm. February, um, where we do. So we've got, uh like a three class program, um, mm -hmm. blade program where we'll do the first one I ran was all about accessing your blade from the clinch when and how to access it. Mm -hmm. We'll do one on how to use the blade and then a third class that will evolve from there as well. So, um, and then, and that's, it's more geared towards our Tempest design. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, my design, my blade, I, I say that because my, but if you, go back to where we started the mm -hmm. blade came from the training right right but mm -hmm. okay so the tempest plays perfectly into what we teach right um you can still do the same stuff that we do with different blades mm -hmm. you just won't be quite as efficient gotcha so you can still you use go. it you just won't be as efficient yeah so when you're controlling somebody your partner if they have a tempest will also be doing damage mm -hmm. and so if i'm in that situation i want to be the one doing the damage right yeah so there you go Awesome. Uh, and so as far as like the blade tech part of it, you have the website. Um, yes. We do sell the blades there. Yes. Um, do you ever go to like events like any of the gun shows or things like that? Or I do. Yeah. So I'm actually booked to go back to blade show uh, in Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in June. I could have my dates wrong. So uh, we went to CanCon, um, which was a, a cool event, uh, mostly firearms related, obviously. Right. Um, there was two, I think there's two other knife vendors there. Mm -hmm. Um, we got really good feedback from the people walking around, uh, who had told me that, um, they liked our stuff far better than the other stuff that was there. And I don't know right. what was there. Cause I didn't walk the booth. I didn't walk the event cause I was working the booth. Right. right. So I didn't get to see everything. Um, <clears throat> last blade show we did great, um, sold a lot of product and the guys around us. Um, and most of it wasn't our handmade because we do handmade stuff also, which mm -hmm. we have two price points, right? Starting off, we have our, if it's manufactured, it's cheaper because that means I don't have my time invested in it. Right. Right. It doesn't mean that the quality is not good. 
you're still using good steel. So we're using S35VN steel with a PVD coating um, and G10 scales. Um, so nice, good quality equipment. We're still using G10 or um, Kydex sheaths. Um, but the handmade ones, they start off. So those, like let's, for instance, the our cheapest knife is our PDX, right? Mm-hmm. We used to sell a, a G10 version of it. And I stopped making because it's really hard. I have a tiny desktop CNC machine and I can only make two at a time. So it's very time consuming. Right. Um, and uh, so I just can't pump out enough volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but people love it. Uh, ironically, the cops love it the most. Um, you know, I like that non-metal signature. <laughs> um, yeah. So the G10, it's really strong and durable. And it, mm-hmm. it, I mean, the tip can break, right? Because it's it's not, I mean, even a steel knife, can the tip can break, but um, it's designed to, to be efficient at what it does. And that's just punch, punch holes, right? Mm-hmm. So it does that right. very well. Um, and it's super light. You forget that it's there. Um, I use a, like I'll use a, a PDX in the steel version, S35VN. It's still light. It's heavier than the G10, but it's it's still light enough that, and I don't need a belt. I just clip it on my my gym shorts, and you can go running, you can lift, and you hardly know it's there. But so those are the 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 G10 we were selling, I think, for sixty five. Uh, they're out of stock right now. Um, the the S thirty five EN version is uh, one nineteen ninety five. Mm-hmm. Um, we are running a sale right now, so if anybody sees this, like I I can't guarantee anything <laughs> before Christmas. At this point, you probably missed right. the boat. It's coming right. after Christmas, right? With shipping, because you know, you know how crazy shipping gets at this yeah. time of year. Um, but they are on sale. I think they're on sale for eighty bucks or something. Nice, maybe seventy-five. I have to check my website. You think I'd know this, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like around eighty bucks. Okay, right. and it comes with a sheath. Yeah, because you can't sell a fixed blade without a sheath. Yeah, I've had a lot of people message me like, "Does it come with a sheath?" Yes. Like, yeah. how are you going to carry it if it doesn't? Right. It's not a pocket knife. It's not a folder, right? Exactly. Um, and then uh, the Tempest starts at, uh, or it's 175 for the manufacturer one. We are selling those for 125 right now. So it's a mm-hmm. killer deal. Again, S35 EN steel. Um, sharp there, razor sharp. Right? My wife gets mad at me because I'm constantly shaving this part of my arm. <laughs> I'm like, shaving your arm. Nice. <laughs> so, um, but I got to test them, right? And then. And then the handmade ones we do with nitro V and there's a reason I chose, there's two primary reasons that I chose this steel. One, I was hoping to sell a lot to uh, military personnel because mm-hmm. I was back when I was thinking of this design, I was also contracted with the air force. I was going on base. Uh, yeah, it was really cool to have this experience. I was going on base and I was training um, uh, some of their security um, or special operations personnel mm-hmm. twice a week. It was like a six month contract. We were supposed to do a year. We ended up not renewing because they had, you know, funds had to go somewhere else. And it, it kind of sucks because I've always felt like I, I didn't give them everything I was supposed to because mm-hmm. I, I expected 12 months. They only got six. And so the last two weeks when I found out we weren't renewing, I tried to, re- I was like, okay, how do I cram the next six months into these last two weeks? And so right. we never really got into, I, I would say, the better part of the program. The first part was a lot of yeah. fitness and teaching them how to strike and, and stuff. That, and mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I've always wanted to go back and, you know, I mean, I even do it for free. I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> but I, yeah, I feel this like, right. I feel like I owe them, you know, yeah. and plus now the, the, the programs evolved, right? Yeah. We spent, I spent a lot less time on the stuff that I was working before because a lot of the fitness we can, we can utilize our, our, our clinch 
fighting, our wrestling, our stand-up wrestling to get you in shape, right? Right. And then work our strikes from there. And really, they want to know how to fight with weapons anyway. So yeah, I think they would be more suited to what their needs are. But anyway, so going back to the design, I guess, before I get on a tangent and talk forever. Um, <laughs> so I, I chose the, the Nitro V steel because it's highly corrosive resistant. And I figure, okay, if they're gonna if, if you're gonna be out in an environment where it's um, exposed to the elements for extended periods of time, you don't want to worry about your knife corroding. You don't have to worry about oiling it. And I didn't want to have to coat it mm-hmm. if if I didn't need to or they didn't want it. Most people just choose the black Cerakote anyway. But right, <laughs> that's the majority. Um, uh, and then the other um, the other reason is how hard I could get the steel. Mm-hmm. So Nitro V can get really hard. I think it goes upward of like. 65 on the rockwell or something extremely difficult or extremely hard now obviously there's balances there too right with anything in life you go too hard it becomes brittle um so we we get it certified to 62 rockwell right still extremely hard which means that the blade can get very sharp right and it can hold that edge um and so it's intended to to cut very efficiently and it can and Mm -hmm. But I tell I tell people all the time like it's not a utility blade, man. Like, <laughs> right. you're not going to see me cutting boxes and apples and and shooting with it. Like, it has one use. Yeah. I still carry a pocket knife for right. all the other different things. Yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but then so the handmade ones they start. We have a dagger variant that we make, and that one starts at four forty nine and goes up depending on how you outfit it. Mm-hmm. You go to the website uh, cranetechknives.com. So mm-hmm. crane t e c and then knives.com. And then there's drop down menu. So if you pick the dagger, again, it starts at 449. The double tanto version, the original, uh, is 475 basically. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up from there. So you do the drop down menu. You can go from G10 scales to you can upgrade to Kiranite. Um, and you can get these really cool patterns. Um, we do custom seracoding. Um, a lot of the stuff we brought in-house. So mm-hmm. I used to send it out <clears throat> for uh coding. Mm-hmm. Um my buddy jason he owns uh p4 coatings they've been featured in recoil magazine several times for different projects he's extremely good at what he does he's an artist um and he offered to help me when i started the business because it's you know one man show right and right uh, i mean we're still a very small outfit and um still you know we're not in a big warehouse or anything working but anyway so what the unfortunate thing is is despite how good he was at his craft, the gun coat, for whatever reason, I think that's what he was using, um, was not as durable as we needed for the blades. In and mm-hmm. out of a Kydex sheath, as many times as they come in and out, it was wearing too fast. Right. And I didn't, I didn't fell, I didn't feel it was right for me to sell a, a product at this price point um, if it wasn't going to last. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I started exploring other um, coding options. We were looking at DLC for a while. The cost was prohibited because I was trying to keep the cost down, right? Um, as much as I could. You know, when when I first started selling these, I was like not making any money at all because um, I was I was trying to keep them under, I think two hundred bucks, I think or two hundred dollars for a handmade knife, mm-hmm. which is unheard of, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so just materials alone, like I'm not making any money, but I'm like, okay. I got to get the product in the hands of some people so they can start talking about it. So right. I'm like, I'm willing to do this and just make no money for a while. Anyway, so we're still not making that much money. If you think about the hours it takes to make the knife from start to finish, right? You know, 475 in the world of a handmade knife is not that expensive. You know, okay. going to, um, yeah, like I said, Blade Show, um, 
there's knives selling well over a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Right. You know, um, and some of them are very simple grinds that I can do in just a matter of minutes, you know, right. not to take away from these guys. Cause I mean, some of these, not, not to say I'm like super good. Cause uh, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I don't even want to be a knife maker. <laughs> okay. It's not my passion. Right. <laughs> I like to design them. I like to test them to see if yeah. they work and, and then train with them. That's what I like mm -hmm. to do. So I am trying to move into a phase where I make less and less handmade knives. Mm -hmm. Um, and more, more of them are manufactured. Right. So it's really, I can focus on the training aspect, right. Going out to more shows, being in, in front of the public to, um, to talk about them because I mean, there's people who understand it and it's kind of funny, um, tangents all day long. That's okay. Um, so when I'm at a, a show, you ask me, I go to shows, right? Uh -huh. So if I'm at a show and I'm staying at my booth, the majority of people that come to our booth have no idea why I designed the knife the way I did. Mm -hmm. Most of them will be like, oh, that's sexy. But the double tanto is very sexy. It's, it's a good yeah. looking knife. Right. They don't know why. They don't know why I designed it mm -hmm. like that. They have no clue. And then you'll get one guy who comes up and he will tell me everything about the knife. And I don't have to say anything. <laughs> right. But that's very far few in between. They understand that person. Mm -hmm. When he starts talking, this you know, a guy starts talking like that. I'm like, okay, right. he trains. Yeah. He understands because he's put a knife in his hand and he's tried these things and yeah. um, he knows the limitations of if it's not designed like this. Right. right? Uh, and uh, so I'm like, so you going to get one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like I don't have to go into my whole spiel. So mm -hmm. um, that's a uh, more, more shows are, I think, imperative to growing the business to where I want it to go. But I can't be the baker. You know, right. You know, I just, I yeah. can't. So, um, but it's hard. Like when it's your baby to trust somebody else to do the work mm -hmm. that you're already doing, um, at the same level. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's difficult because you set a standard for quality and now you're putting the hands of somebody else. Yeah. It's scary. You know, wasted material too is hard for, right. for a small business. Yeah. You know, everything, everything counts. Um, when you're trying to, to recover, you know, um, you know, when you do a run of manufactured knives, it's tens of thousands of dollars right. to get a minimum order out, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then you just you gotta hope to sell them all, you know, quickly. Yeah. So just, so to, just out of curiosity, do you think that you're going to, uh, eventually move into other things outside of just knives? So, cause I'm a big fan of Tomahawks. So, <laughs> yes, I have a huge desire to make Tomahawks. <laughs> I don't think they fit into what I'm doing, like the, the business model, but, but yeah. I want to make them. Yeah. Right. Um, so originally, um, so brain tech was instead of TEC, it was TECK. Okay. Tactical everyday carry knives. And I'm like, drop the K. Right. Is that pigeonholes us to knives? Exactly. I want to be, I want to open this up to other things. And so, yes, eventually we'll make other things, but I need, I need to get like, you know, our, our, core products and and a couple yeah. new ones i have designs that are sitting mm -hmm. that i've done that i just can't bring to market because it's all about money right? right and then there's timing of everything like okay release this one give it enough time to right to to sell and and then release the next one and so forth and so um but i want to make tomahawks i, I do want to do a small like there'll be different lines i actually um we're going to do a mission specific line mm -hmm um hopefully i've talked to the guys that i want to collab with on this project and it'll be a line of knives i'll put their name on it as you know co-designing to give them their credit right um and uh so 
they're they're all guys who are either active or retired either law enforcement or, or military um uh, one is a um uh, we got well one of my buddies is a he's active he was border patrol now he's active air marine right mm-hmm. so like, hey tell me what kind of life you guys would like my other guy my other buddy is a retired uh chief master sergeant for um uh the for um the 306 which is um oh my god paratroopers okay sorry and i'm like hey what kind of life would you guys like right yeah so and then my, my other buddy is retired just recently retired um chief master sergeant for um the navy seals and nice and i'm like so i got a group of guys who like have done some stuff right know what they need in their field mm-hmm. let's do a mission specific line and so i want to release that also so we're supposed to collab on you know three different designs there and then i'm open to getting other people who are in a field where mm-hmm. like they have a need it's like okay well let's figure out what you need let's answer right let's do that because i don't know exactly what they need i know what i want and that's why right. i designed what i what i've designed yeah. but um yeah i would like to get to offer more things to be more specific i don't want to have too many products that now it's like you know i said products that i, I design and put out and i'll never sell because mm-hmm. it's why right i want a reason behind it you know mm-hmm. so but um I have some Native American blood in me, right? And so I've always wanted to make a tomahawk. That, that's so, awesome. <laughs> you you may see one, yeah. There you go. Even if there's only two, one for me, and one for you, yeah, you may go. see two tomahawks. I'm totally okay with. <laughs> right on. Yep. So, uh, Crane Tech Knives—that's uh, the best place to find you, like online, Instagram. Yeah. So Crane underscore TEC Instagram. Um, I wish I could tell you what my Facebook one is. Uh, I'm terrible at so- social media. Okay. <clears throat> we have a few videos on YouTube, Crane Tech. I'm sure if you just type mm-hmm. in Crane Tech, it'll pop up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, cranetechknives.com is our website. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. So I uh, I definitely want to be respectful of your time because I know you got other shit to do. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that you could join us here. And uh, it was great talking with you. I, like, yeah, I love time. learning more about the company and what you got going on and why you're doing what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah, yeah I hope uh, some of it was uh, worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Me absolutely. Appreciate yeah, uh, Merv, thank you for having a drink with me. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I got to finish this thing. There you go. All right. So again, thank you very much, and uh, we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get you back on here sometime. Absolutely, I love it. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank All you. right, on. Sounds good. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, you can now support the non-victim nation by donating via listener support directly on Spotify. Remember, the story of your life is being written right now, and you are the hero.